second, but just want to share a really brief word with you guys. And just going to get my clicker. So I had my clicker. I took it with me to my chair. I apologize. Sorry, guys. But just been been really reflecting a lot this week, a lot this week on um, wanting to see God's people um, delivered from the the massive. Um, the massive weight of feeling like you never measure up. Uh, my heart all week has been really stirred with um, this condition I'm very, very concerned about in the church where um, you perpetually feel like you don't do enough or you don't measure up. And this, this large weight that uh, um, when you think about you know, the, the, the history of, of those that God has used around the world and you say, my, there's no way my life looks like theirs. And so many of us walk around not with the oil of joy that Jesus walked in, according to Hebrews 1, but uh, with this shame and this guilt that I don't measure up. Am I connecting with anybody? Can you just shake your head at me? And I just, I want to just very briefly comment about that in hopes that, that that thing is broken off your life. I got three people happy about that being broken off your life, but... I promise you, all of you want that um, broken off your life, that you would realize that you are chosen, that you are royal, and that you are holy. Amen? And so I just want to look at this passage, and before we do, I just pray, Lord, that you would just very briefly um, speak to us now as you've been speaking and guiding us all morning. I thank you that, uh, that you are so devoted um, to this world and you're totally sold out um, to your strategy to transform and bring renewal to this world, and it's in and through your church. And so as you're devoted to the world, and particularly, specifically, devoted to your people, being in the world as your ambassadors, your representatives, your people... Lord, we lean into all that you've made readily available for us to connect with that and to be powerfully and profoundly um, aware of the dignity and the sanctity of each and every person's calling and purpose in this room. I pray, Lord, that you would come, Holy Spirit, and, and teach us and illuminate the scripture as it is our The truth of scripture is um, that which teaches us, corrects us, trains us, and empowers us to live righteously. And we get to see your faithfulness throughout the, the many, many centuries as you've led a people. And ultimately, Jesus, what you've done for us. And so just come right now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. So I've been thinking um, specifically out of the book of First Peter. It's a book I'm very, very familiar with for many years. I've never preached my way through it, but I, I, I'm very familiar with it. And I want to zone in on just a couple verses out of it. Um, just, for, just for a little bit of context, the book of First Peter, Peter was one of the original followers of Jesus, and he's writing to Jewish Christians that because of persecution, 
um, because of uh, prejudice, because of decisions that the higher uppers have made, Jewish Christians and some non-Jewish Christians, but many, find themselves scattered throughout the known world. They're not in Palestine, they're not in Israel, but they're scattered and they're um, exiles. Everyone say exile. They are exiles, or as um, Stanley Hauerwas and William Willimon say, they were resident aliens. And so God is writing to a scattered people, a dispersed people, and an exiled people, which is to say that they were not at home in their host culture. And I want you to know, you and I are resident aliens and exiles in this country. Does that make sense? That our, if you're in Christ, your citizenship is not so much about where you were born, it's who you're born into. And if you're born into the family of God, then there's a book in heaven that's got your big shiny grin face on it. You're adopted, you're brought into a family, and your citizenship is in heaven. You're citizens of the kingdom of God, a kingdom that unlike every other empire that has risen and fallen, you're part of a kingdom that has no end in sight. In fact, it's the eternal kingdom, God's kingdom. And that kingdom rests squarely upon the shoulders of King Jesus. And of the increase of his government and his reign and his rule, there is no end. So it's a pretty good gig if you're born into that kingdom today, amen? And so Peter's writing in all of chapter one, I, I wish we could just do a whole series. I just, um, I'll just quote just a few verses. Um, in his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he's given us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. In this salvation, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And even though you don't see him, you love him and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And he goes on in chapter one, he says, guys, in light of this great mercy, in light of your new identity, in light of even though you're a dispersed, exiled, scattered people, that, that even though from every angle, the empire in Rome is sucking, uh, pulling you at every, every possible way culturally um, to accommodate, to become and to blend into the cultures in which you find yourself firmly planted. But resist it. Don't forget, you got to prepare your minds for action. But as you obey the truth, it purifies your soul. Don't let the culture seep into your soul and the purity of your faith to become diluted. And so he, all this is in chapter one, and he says, you guys have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And so all of chapter one, the apostle Peter is trying to encourage a bunch of scattered, exiled people. And I would say he's doing a pretty darn good job so far, that you have an eternal inheritance. Come on, that you were redeemed, not, not with anything you could buy or cut, you were redeemed through the blood of Jesus, 1 Peter 1, 17, and and then he just goes on and on to encourage them. And then he, 
And then he tells them, guys, in light of this, in light of this reality of being a scattered, exiled people where you're not at home in the host culture, you're going to really need each other to accomplish my purpose where you find yourself scattered and exiled. And so he says these words in, in 1 Peter um, chapter 2, verse 4, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The Cliff Notes version of this is this, that no longer does God, as he did in Israel's history, God's people, he doesn't live in a specific location, in a specific building, but that Jesus, through his redemptive work on the cross and the vindication of the Father, saying his death was sufficient, so he raised him in power and he gave him a throne above every other throne and a name above every other name, and he gave him the keys, Revelation 1.18, of life and of death, he gave him all authority in heaven and on earth. The resurrection vindicated and validated the life and death of Jesus. And he's saying that now in light of what Jesus has done, I don't live in a specific location. So even though you're exiled and scattered, don't worry. I'm building you into my new house. Imagine the comfort if you're all alone, there's two or three believers in Asia or Bithynia or Cappadocia or in Galatia, all these places that Peter's writing, and you hear these words, guys, I know you feel like you're alone, that everything in the, your country seems like it's raveling and racism in Virginia and all, all this stuff, but I want you to know you're not alone. In fact, I am so devoted to establishing my presence in my kingdom where you find yourself scattered, and I'm doing it as the people of God get built into a spiritual house wherein which I dwell and have my home. And so the word to the scattered people is, guys, in your scattered and in your exile, in your isolation and in the, where you're trying to negotiate, man, did we lose a generation? They're not in church. And where you're wrestling with all of these cultural, who are we? What are we? God has a word of encouragement. He's saying, I'm right here in the thick of all of it. I'm building you into a house and into a priesthood. And he goes on, there's the word and I'm done preaching. And so he writes this. He talks about, you know, many people accepted Jesus, many people rejected Jesus, and he says, but you. Someone say, but you. And I have a whole message I want to just, it's called, but you. <laughs> but you are a chosen, read it with me, I love it. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So here's my message. Is that number one, everyone in this room, you are chosen. Now, why is that significant? Great question. When God originally called his people Israel to himself, he told them very clearly in Deuteronomy 7, I'm not choosing you because you were the biggest or the brightest or because you have the most 
um, amazing military or because you're the most creative or because you're more numerous. He says, I chose you solely based on the fact because I love you. And so for those of you here today, you, you, I want you to know that you're chosen out of the basis of the sheer love and mercy of God. You're chosen not just in a, a sort of a Western individualistic, but you're chosen by a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're chosen for relationship. You're chosen for relationship. And here's the reality that how does the world work when it comes to choosing? Does anyone remember the horror story of when there were two team captains on the blacktop and you're like, and they got to choose the basketball team? I'm going to take the awkward tall guy last, okay? Although I was pretty good at basketball, so I usually wasn't last. But, or chosen for a position or for an office that usually it has everything to do with your pedigree or your education or your your status, are you tracking with me, that the way the world chooses, God cuts right through the, the, the marble and the garble, and he says, I choose you not because of any of that, but because I love you. I choose you, and you're special to me by virtue of the fact that I created you for a relationship. And until you connect with that purpose, you will perpetually not just feel like you're scattered and exiled as someone who's trying to just figure out their way in the world, but you'll never, ever, ever come to the fullness of the redemptive potential through which I've created you for. And so as a peculiar people of God today, I want you to know you're chosen on the basis of a God who is love and who has pursued you in Christ, that he came to seek and save that which was lost. And that wasn't a few select people, that was the entire human experience. Jesus came to salvage and to remake and restore God's image in every one of his image bearers. You're chosen because I love you. And you're a royal priesthood. What's that all about? Well, you happen to have been chosen by a king. God's original vision for Israel, again, in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, was that the entire nation of Israel, remember, they were chosen based sheerly out of love. So I want you to know you're chosen today sheerly out of love. And he, made, he wanted them to be a royal, a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? He wanted every single person within his chosenness and his family to have equal access to his glory, to his holiness, to his presence, and then have the equal opportunity to go out and to mediate and to spread that holiness, that blessing, that favor, that peace, that wholeness. Are you tracking with me? And so in the new covenant, God is writing to a scattered, exiled people that I choose you in love, and when I choose you and you say yes to my chosenness over your life, that you immediately are brought into a place of royalty, that you have one who has chosen you who is a king, and he's, he's made you to rule and to fill and to subdue this world with him. You're royal, and you're priests, not in like a white collar, listen, Paul, Peter did not write this and tell everyone to quit their jobs and go into the professional ministry. He's saying this is to be your identity no matter what you do in your nine to five, that you're chosen, royal, and holy. You'll understand that in 10 seconds. You're royal. I'm a king, and I've called you to be a part of my family. When you're brought into the family of God, man, you're royalty. All the authority, the access, the anointing, the privilege it is to bear 
to God all the burdens of your family, your workplace, your world, to bring it as a priest, to stand through Jesus and offer it, and then to receive the power, the blessing, the provision, and the peace of a God who hears, knows, and loves, and you're able to go mediate that back out to the world. That's what priests do, and all of you. Listen, in the New Testament, priesthood never refers to a select few believers. It always All believers after Jesus are priests. It never, ever, ever, in the Old Testament, it was not God's heart that he had to set aside the Levites. That was only after all of Israel rebelled in Exodus 32 and the Levites went and slayed their brothers to stop the plague in the camp. He said, okay, you can be the priestly tribe. His vision was for an entire nation to be priests. And in this new covenant that Jesus has made available, that you and I don't have to live vicariously through anyone else, you are summoned to receive your royal priestly identity. And then you're a holy nation. Well, what's that all about? Well, um, where we're headed in the end is to gather around the throne of a king where every nation, language, tribe, and tongue worships and gives glory and honor to the lamb that was slain. And through his blood, he has made available to every man, woman, boy, and girl from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue the honor and the privilege to be those royal priests, to be a part of a holy nation. And so I want you to know that as a believer, you are by virtue of your trust and faith in Jesus and your adoption by the Spirit, you are a part of a really big multi-ethnic global family. So everywhere you go, Peter's writing to an exiled people. You're never alone. There's a guy and a gal in the next town, and all of you are part of this holy nation. This nation that was meant to mediate and to show the world what humanity rightly aligned with me, with themselves and each other was meant to look like. So here's what I wanna say, and there's so much more. I'm so tired of writing eight pages of notes. And then, so therefore I wanna tell you this, because I love you. We're gonna do a little quiz. I'm gonna show you a picture of a vocation and you're gonna guess what that vocation or job is. Are you tracking with me? I need an amen or something. I think I'm getting close. So what if you had to guess, what does that guy do? Come on, this is, I started with the E. It gets harder from here. Wrong, because he happens to be a believer and he's a priest builder. He is a priest charged to mediate the presence and provision and glory and light and a, who lives out of the reality of their chosenness, their dearly belovedness. Wrong. They are a priest who happens to get to show off the glory and grandeur of God through the medium of being a builder. I'm telling you, in around the 1800s, 1900s, from the Enlightenment on in 1700s, there was this huge line that was erected that was not from heaven's perspective between the secular and the sacred. And so all of you have got callings to be teachers. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Save, the, save it. What if you had to guess? What, what, what are these people? Come on, that's an easy finance business. Okay, wrong again. They are priests who are business persons. I didn't know how to be gender neutral. So... So they have a specific calling. They have a specific calling to do business that 
that brings glory and blessing from those who buy the commodity to those who build and make the commodity. They're charged with mediating what it looks like to be a person of righteousness, of justice, of equity. They're charged with the ability to use business not only for personal gain, but that which, that which blesses their family. They don't seek careers at the expense of their family. They're priestly business persons. Are you tracking with me? All right, you're gonna start believing me in a second. Oh, this is an easy one. What do you think the guy on the left does? He's probably a doctor. Wrong again. He's a priest doctor. Someone said it. You think I'm being cute, but if this truth grips your heart, that thing of guilt will break off your shoulders when you realize your passions and desires, they're not a mistake, that success in the kingdom is not anything other than being the best thing God's called you to out of your chosenness, your royalty, and being holy, radiant, other, beautiful, giving glory and honor to God. It's a priest doctor. When you connect with that, it'll change your life. Okay, similar field, but okay, nurse, you're right, but you're wrong. It's a priest nurse. A priest nurse. All right, what do you think? Okay, not fair. You're taking all the thunder. Come on, somebody, you need to hear this. You need to hear this. When the truth of your chosenness and your royalty and that you're a part of God's global multi-ethnic family charged with the command as Israel was charged and as Jesus definitively fulfilled and then turns around and gives to his church, when you connect with the reality that you do everything out of that place, it becomes the place through which God wants to show off his glory. It's a priest parent. I don't know why I said, didn't say priest mom because I want to be politically correct because some guys stay home and some moms, so get over it. I'm just trying to be inclusive. What are they? What if you had to guess? What do they do? Priest police. No one actually got that one right. Priest police. Those who've been given authority Yes, any of us can misuse authority, but have been given authority to protect, to ensure that justice and law are upheld in the land. There's many, many other vocations, but my, my number one thing I wanted to say, I don't think I have any more. Oh, yeah, I love this. <sighs> Come on. Priest, that says teacher, I promise, but I want you to know as we, we kick off the fall and, you know, when Peter wrote to the exiled people, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, he was not writing them some spiritual vision or version of their life where they would all quit their jobs and feel guilty because they weren't full-time preachers or pastors or whatever. No, 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 no. It was to do their jobs with an orientation wrapped around their chosenness, their royalty, and the holiness that is theirs through Christ. It was that this truth of their identity would so infuse and inform what they did in their nine to five that it was so much more than for a paycheck. It was to bring glory and honor to Jesus through it. 
So many times people tell me as a pastor, oh, I'm praying for you, and thank you for praying for me. You're on the front lines. Oh, and I, I'm sure that's true on some level, but I always try to respectfully tell that person um, with all due respect, you're on the front lines. You're trying to sell in a way that doesn't come into agreement with how it's a dog-eat-dog world. You're the one out there trying to offer health care when there's so many hoops and riddles and pre-existing conditions. You're the one trying to do it in a way that mediates the peace and presence of a king and a kingdom who is good news to the poor. Do you understand? I'm just a builder. I'm a construction guy. I just, I get home and I'm tired. No, build the house for the glory of God. Build the fence. Bring glory to God. Do it with all your heart. I'm a business person. Do it with righteousness flowing through your veins. Don't be like other businesses where people are a commodity. View them as an image bearer of God and treat them well. Treat your boss and your clients as if Jesus is both your boss and the one you do it to and for. I'm telling you, when this changes everything, and I'm telling you, it's killed us, the secular, sacred divide in the West and in the church. And our view of work, where our vision of work is so much lower than God's creation mandate idea, which is everything I want to do in the world, I want to do through you in every capacity, whether you're a teacher, stay-at-home mom, doctor, nurse, teacher, or whatever else. You're chosen because I love you. When you do everything out of relationship, people will know. When you realize that you are royal and you're a priest, that you're not just to be a part of the, the, the problem, that you get to be a part of the solution because you're a priest. You have access to the God who's got everything you need and you get to mediate his provision to the world. That you're a part of a holy nation. No matter how small you feel, there is a global, multi-ethnic, glorious family that God is amassing and assembling and calling to himself in these last days. And you're a part of that global family. You're not alone. And listen, listen, listen. When you realize this, it changes everything. It changes everything. I'm doing it with God. I'm doing it through God. I'm doing it for God. It changes everything. It'll change the atmosphere of your work. It'll change the inner compass of your heart where you say, God, I don't want to build this thing for me. I want to build it for you. When we realize that God wants us, no matter what your title is, but you do it, You do it out of the place of your identity that is true of you in Jesus. I'm telling you, we, and only then will we see a city transform from the inside out. It's going to take every facet of culture and city, God's people activated and empowered to see a city truly walk in righteousness and justice. In other words, I think many of our aims are entirely too spiritual. I think God accomplishes his purposes through everyday ordinary stuff like showing up before you need to be there at work, finishing the job with diligence and excellence and bringing glory and honor to God. Yes, I think the kingdom advances through that. And when that grips your heart, your life is not just moments of purpose and destiny, but an entire arc of purpose and destiny.
Not just little blips and moments of feeling close to God when you do spiritual things and then, no, 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 all of it becomes an opportunity as priests to worship Jesus, to bring glory and honor to Jesus. I love this quote, and with this I will close. Somewhere it is, this quote, somewhere it is. I just skipped through all my notes. Um, well, I promise you it's a good one. Well, I knew you'd love that quote, so I thought I'd just tell it to you. Well, praise the Lord. You weren't supposed to hear the quote. So here's my closing remarks then. Forget that quote. I, I started this whole with a, the but you, and I told you I wanted to preach a whole sermon on the but, but you. If you can go back to just 1 Peter 2, 9, so I don't have to go through it, Justin, I appreciate it. Um, you can clear the background photo. The, the, the real challenge here is what are you going to do with the but you? As I reflected on this message and this passage throughout the week, um, but you, what will you do with this? But you. I feel like the Lord says to us, but you who are not so busy building your own kingdoms that you're willing to get caught up in my kingdom agenda, but you who are not so wrapped up finding your identity in what you possess or the title that you brandish, but your chosenness, royalty, and holiness drive you from the inside out. But you who are not so in bed with the cultural idols of individualism, consumerism, materialism that you cannot eventually get around to mediating my agenda on the earth. But you who have sworn sole allegiance to the lamb that was slain. Beloved, I want you to know like, like every, everything of God, it's an invitation to participation. It is not an invitation to sit on the sidelines and to live vicariously through somebody else who's more spiritual than you. Every one of you are invited into this kind of reality. Amen. Will you be a people who draw their identity from the loving relationship with Christ? Will you be a people who allow the line between the secular and the sacred to be blotted out and you realize all of life is an opportunity for worship? But you, will you realize that God wants to show up equally in your nine to five life as when you're doing, quote, spiritual things? And I'm convinced that the world is waiting to see what the church will do with the but you. But you, you're different, you're chosen, you're royal, and you're holy. And I love it, it goes on to say, and by the way, I own you. God's special possession. <laughs> Come on, I like that. He's got really strong hands, so if he owns me, he's able to keep me. Come on, somebody. That why? And all of it's never self-focused that you may declare. Look at that. Read it with me. Declare the what? The praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That we're to be a people marked by mercy in a world so desperate for mercy. I don't know how you need to respond, um, but I, I know you need to respond because we got to figure this thing out called life, called work. And if perpetually you feel like, 
how does my work fit into the grand scheme of things? I want you to know it fits right in the center. That God blessed work. Work was not a curse. Amen? Work was not a curse. That wasn't like God's idea, hey, they sinned, let's give them work. No, work was before the curse. God, God worked, and he made, and he spoke, and created. And so there's maybe, maybe no better way to bring glory to God than doing all of life, especially our work, out of a place of chosen, royal, holy. And so, Lord, I just pray as we begin this dialogue for the next um, several weeks looking at work and service, what does it mean to be a priesthood, a family, on mission together, I pray, God, that you would so ravish our hearts with the, the beauty and the glory of our nine-to-fives, the beauty and the glory of doing business in a righteous way, the beauty and the glory of raising your children in the good days and the bad to be kingdom seekers and Jesus followers, the beauty and the glory of treating every client the same, whether they're rich or they're poor. When we realize, beloved, that when we start doing this, we become a city within a city that bears glory to the, brings glory and bears witness to the eternal city that's coming. Do you understand that, beloved? And so, God, I pray for the revelation that you're inviting the church into this place of being a city on a hill. Not that just influences the spiritual aspects of your life, but all of life radically reinterpreted through our chosenness, the royalty that flows through our veins, and that we belong to a holy nation, God's global family. I just thank you right now that you would just impart that courage, that hope. You'd break off the heaviness. If anyone in this place, it's their whole life is like, well, my dad was this, and I, I turned out this, or my mom, or I just want that to be broken in Jesus' name, that everyone would sense and say yes to the invitation to be an all-of-life worshiper. Lord, we bless right now our businesses. If you're in business, can you just stand? I just want to spend a few minutes. Just stand up. We want to bless you. We're not going to call on you and make you feel weird. Just stand up where you're at. We just want to bless businesses. Father God, we bless those who stand right now that you would bless the fruit of their hands. We ask that you would just explode with favor upon that which these men and women have given themselves to. We ask, God, that you'd give them favor in the marketplace, that you would tangibly, Lord, just break through and bring inroads through which you will receive glory, honor, and a reward through the fruit of their work. We bless these among us who are in the business realm. In Jesus' mighty name. If you are, go ahead and have a seat. If you are in the academic world, you're a teacher or a student, could you stand? Teacher or a student, are you getting ready to go be sent off as a student? We want to pray for you. That's so cool. So many of us. The frontliners. You guys are all the frontliners. Business, this is the real world, man. This ain't a frontline on a platform. That's the frontline out there. And so we bless these, Lord, right now in school or as teachers. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Lord, in a generation that is almost, almost one out of two come from broken situations at a home, that these in education, Lord, literally are the way through which the lonely are brought into family. 
These are those through whom God, those who did not get raised in a place where truth was valued, who can be those who bring truth to bear on a situation. These are those who, through your spirit, can be the living example and the hands and the feet of Jesus himself to a generation dying to know if they're worth anything. God, we bless and honor the call on those in schools and the academic world. We ask that you would just so go before them that they would be like Daniels and Josephs, that God, they would learn the literature and the language of the culture and Lord, but they would be so utterly devoted to the culture that is eternal, the culture of the kingdom, and that you would have your way in and through them in Jesus' mighty name. Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you're in the medical field, could you stand, a doctor or a nurse? We bless you. We bless all of you in the name of the Lord. We thank you for your service, that you are the healing hands, the healing hands of Jesus himself. And we ask that you would be a part of an amazing move of God to bring care, to bring love to those who at their lowest are at their most desperate. We bless you in the name of the Lord. We ask that God would pour out favor upon you. We ask for ideas towards medicine and to ideas, Lord, towards ways to see holistic healing brought to bear on your clients, upon your patients. God, we ask for favor within uh, the insurance and the doctoral realm that it would more and more God, we ask that the kingdom of God would come through the medical wing in our country and that it would spread throughout all the earth. We bless those in the medical field, Lord. Keep them holy, keep them healthy, keep them strong and firmly planted in their chosenness in you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Um, I'm forgetting some. If you're in government, if you're a police officer or a firefighter or anything, if there's anyone like that, could you stand? We wanna bless you. Well, even if there's none in here, we're gonna pray for them, so pray with me. Father God, we bless right now those in, 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 in um, service, God, military or police academy, God, or firefighters or fire. Um, we ask your paramedics, thank you. God, all of those in this industry, we bless in our city. We say that their work is good and it has great potential to be an instrument of righteousness in this city and in this land. We honor them and we bless them right now in Jesus' name. Anyone in art or media or entertainment? I don't know, I just thought I'd ask. It's part of the cultural milieu or fabric. So cool, we got, we got a couple, yay, I love it. Come on, anyone else, we wanna bless you. Lord, we bless these in the entertainment, art, and culture creating spheres of our culture and society. We honor the call of God on their life. We thank you that there are things, that songs and dance, that poems and pictures can communicate of your love that nothing else can. And so we ask God that you would so anoint them Lord, we look at your word and the first evidence of the anointing or infilling of the spirit were for those who were in charge of the aesthetic of the temple, of the, I'm sorry, of the tabernacle. Those anointed for beauty and creation and creativeness. God, we bless these who are standing right now that you would just, there would be no limit to the creativity that you're pouring into them right now. That Lord, in, a, in, a, in an entertainment industry, that so desperately needs revival, would you mark these as anointed ones to shine forth your light, to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ, amen.
What am I forgetting? Families. Yes, families. If you are, if you are in a family. <sighs> if you're a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa or if you're single and you're hardest, you're all in family. Can you stand? You represent the cornerstone of our culture and society. Maybe you can just put, put your hand on the shoulder next to you as we stand as a family. And no one go anywhere. We still got to take an offering, so don't even think about it. <laughs> and I'm going to let you pray for the person next to you for 30 seconds. If you don't know what to pray, just say, Jesus, bless them. I'm going to let you pray for family. Grow some courage. It's okay. You don't have to be afraid. Lord, I bless their family. That's all you have to say. I honor them. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Lord, we bless our families right now. Come on, we just bless our families, Lord. We thank you for the work you're doing in our homes. We thank you for what you're doing in our workplaces. We thank you, God. We ask that you would so strengthen families at Cornerstone that, Lord, that would be a sign and a wonder in this city. Families that are holy, families that are healthy, families that are pursuing channels of good communication, families that don't just fly at the sign of adversity, but lean into it humbly to seek a God solution and a God redemptive purpose. God, we bless our families, our families. And as we're standing, I know there's one more, the religious sector of society, but there's no secular sacred from heaven's perspective. But Lord, we do bless those who have a specific call to vocational ministry. We bless them right now, God. Pastors and leaders with the sole purpose of equipping everyday people to live for Jesus every day. Bless us, God, as we seek not to build a big thing in our name, but a big thing for your fame, for your glory. And that will only happen when every person in our congregations realize they're chosen, royal, and holy. It will only happen when we realize there is no secular sacred. It's all an opportunity for worship and to bring glory to the king who is worthy. And so, God, we ask anointing upon those charged with the, the calling to equip, to raise up, to empower and train and release a mighty army to be scattered and sent out into every sphere of society, of culture, to bear witness to the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.